everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Well, that was an abrupt shift. <laughs> it's me, Kelly Birmingham here. Um, welcome to our podcast, uh, Retrospective Look Back on the Spectrum. I am Kelly. I'm the BCBA, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Jen, mom of Dylan. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kelly. Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey. We have two guests today we're super excited about. We, um, we've been talking this month about um, conservatorship, and actually we titled it Conserve or Not Conserve, and we've been talking to different parents to hear the story and their perspective, so that uh, one, parents on the autism spectrum, parents who have children can listen and hear different perspectives and stories, and then two, as BCBAs, we are often in a position where families are asking us, where do they find out information? Where do they, um, what are our opinions? What do we think? And this is topic is certainly out of our scope of practice as far as the details of conservatorship, but we should have some knowledge around it because it is in our ethics code where we talk about having um, our clients sign and consent for treatment, for assessment and services. And so if a child is over 18, that child should be signing consent for assessment and treatment if they do not have conservatorship. So we need to know some of the details around that. So we have special guests today. We have Michelle back. Michelle Hyde is back, BCBA, mom extraordinaire of her son, and she has brought her bestie, Victoria. Hi. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Glad to be back. Thanks. And Jen's here as always. So hi, Jen. Hi there. <laughs> so we're talking conservatorship and Victoria, you have two sons and I'm going to just pause for a minute. And if you wouldn't mind, please tell us a little bit about your story with your sons and um, maybe a little bit from where you all started and where they're at now. Sure. I'd be happy to. I have two sons who are now uh, 25 and 21, and my older son is uh, what I guess most people would call high-functioning. He um, graduated with a diploma. He has a job. He's working full-time now. This has been for about two years. Wonderful. And just with then just about a year ago, he moved out of our family home into his own place and is, um, you know, on his adult journey on his own. He lives very close to us and, you know, we're very involved in his life, but um, he is not conserved. And that wasn't really ever a consideration um, for me. I have Although, to ask you, when my stepdaughter moved out, she's three miles away from us. We slept in our car at night for the first few nights, almost a week, just keeping our eye on things. Did you do that or were you better than us? No, uh, but I definitely, you know, kept really close tabs on, on what was happening. Um, you know, he moved out about a little more than a month before the, the shutdown here in California. Wow. And um, so our original thoughts were that he was going to have um, some in-home support, you know, part-time from um, our local, you know, government agency that does that. 
uh, he was going to have someone come in and, you know, help him, you know, learn how to cook things and Mm -hmm. how to do grocery shopping on his own and how to, you know, clean his apartment and so forth. And basically none of that happened because of the shutdown. So my husband and I had been, you know, we've been providing a lot more support than we originally thought we would, which is fine. It's all worked out very well. And I'm just glad that we were able to do it. Um, Now he's getting a little bit more support. Great. But he's learned a lot in this year. (laughs) He's definitely learned a lot. And tell us about your other son. My other son, who's 21, he's in his last year of school services. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's more, you know, moderate. Um, I would say, you know, moderate autism. He um, is not getting a high school diploma, but he, um, you know, is completing his last year of school. And we're getting ready to start some different types of services for him when he turns 22. And uh, Michelle's known him a long time. He started off um, not being verbal at all, used um, different communications methods, including some PECs and some, um, you know, AAC device. And um, now he's, you know, he's verbal. He talks a lot, but really he's still very, very expressive, you know, using type and text Mm -hmm. and um, email. He's really adept at that. Yeah, I'll share. um, When I first met Matt, I mean, I was really surprised um, because um, he was just really starting to to learn to to talk and and he was a bit older, um, but his ability has just like come so far in the you know, long time that I've known him, but uh, he's just absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. He's so cute and love to talk with him. But if you ask him, I mean, I've asked him a couple of times, do you prefer to talk with me or text, text all the way? Like he's, he's very comfortable in silence. So if we go somewhere, you have to be very comfortable in silence because he would rather text with you. So it's, it, we have great conversations um, via text um, quite often. And, and it's super fun. That's awesome. <laughs> That's I love awesome. That. A lot of people, you know, know him through his texting and through, you know, messages on through Facebook or whatever. And he's, it sometimes surprises me. He's struck up conversations with people like some of our elected officials over text, and I don't know who he's <laughs> texting. And then I look over at his phone and think, who are you talking to? (laughs) It turns out to be someone, you know, kind of high up there. (laughs) He has all these friendships with people. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. It sounds actually kind of similar to my, my son. Um, The one thing I love is that, you know, that we all find a way to communicate, right? Which works best for us. So I think that's very cool. I like that text texting my son writes emails a lot that's like his form yeah okay so you're both of your sons 21 25 mm-hmm. um different ends of the spectrum do you here's the question do you have or thought about or any plans on conservatorship 
for either of them? Yeah, I have thought about it a lot. Um, and when they were both younger, I just sort of assumed that it would happen with both of them, mainly because it's what I had always heard should happen. And I had talked to other people and these people include parents or teachers or other professionals. And it just sort of seemed like, yeah, this is something you do. You have to get ready for it. When they're 18, you wanna do this because uh, if you don't, you won't be able to do, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And sometimes it was people telling me, well, you won't be able to approve your son's IEP unless he's conserved. And that's not true. And you won't be able to, uh, well, I can still participate in the IEP. I was just going to say I, that. I learned that, you know, <laughs> yes, my son uh, signs his own IEPs when yeah. he's 18. Um, but I'm still part of the team yep. and it's never posed a problem for me to be part of the team. I still get the invitations to the meetings. I still show up. I still have complete input. Um, they're, you know, including my son as well as myself. Now for me, I haven't really had any conflict, you know, with my son about what would be appropriate in his IEP. Maybe other parents are worried about that. In fact, I have talked to other parents and they said they were concerned that at a certain point their son would say, you mean I have I get to approve this? Okay, well, forget it. I'm done with school. I'm, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't been a concern of mine. And frankly, I don't know anyone who that actually happened to. But people tell you that you have to do it. And in fact, I have found that there are alternatives, you don't have to do it. And um, I, think, I think people are just sort of misinformed about it. Can you share what some of the alternatives are from your perspective? Yeah, um, definitely. I, uh, I'll give you an example that just happened to me today. In fact, my son had a doctor's appointment or an appointment actually with a nutritionist who he was referred to by one of his doctors. I have never met this person before and it was a telehealth visit. So she called and she said, I, I need to talk to Matthew. And I said, okay, well, I'm his mom and let me get him for you. And we both sat there together with speakerphone and my son talked to her and, and then she said, okay, now who are you? I'm his mom. And we talked together. It was a, an appointment where we both participated and I made it clear to her that we were both involved and um, you know, she would ask questions and I would let him answer first. And then I would provide supporting information or questions or whatever. And it just, it just worked out and we didn't have any uh, there was no discussion about, you know, well, who has, you know, authority to make these decisions? You know, we just did it together. Just like, you know, would often happen if, you know, you go to the, see the doctor with your spouse or something like that. You're both involved. And it was clear that he was okay with me being involved. And that's just how we do it. Um, so... I 
that's Can I add, Vic? I know we're, um, we're kind of doing this together. It's kind of crazy talking over you, but um, I think being your friend and seeing you through this journey over the last 15 years, one of the things that you've done with both of your boys and done it so well um, is, is teach them like from a really young age about the importance of advocacy and, you know, sharing what you want. And as a parent taking their opinions. And I remember, you know, Matt being a little guy and um, you just, you know, involving him in everything and taking him everywhere in the community because that's what he really liked to do and just facilitating his interests but I think that has really built to the point where um, you can have that um, parenting relationship with him where things are you're doing that together and you're involved because you're just you're supporting him you're not overriding his goals but you're you're supporting him and you've always taught all of our kids to really be their own advocates and, and ask them what they want. And I think that that's one um, huge thing that, that I've learned from, from watching you over the last years that other people could really benefit from. Oh, well, thank you, Michelle. That's nice. Well, I'm your yeah, best I, friend and you're I, a wonderful I, person. So I gotta say I nice things. I do and always have, you know, um, really involved my kids in the community as far as you know the places we go and and the things they do and introducing them to various people and professionals along the way whether it's legislators or law enforcement or you know the principal at their school or whatever always you know keeping them um in in front really and i'm i'm behind um, so what I described with the nutritionist today was really informal. It didn't involve any paperwork or consent or, you know, formal consent. Um, in the more formal way, and here I have to really, um, you know, confess that I haven't done the more formal things that I really need to complete, um, is get some more formal paperwork in order, like a durable power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So if my, my plan um, was a couple of years ago was to pursue conservatorship for my son. Mm -hmm. And I went so far as um, going to this agency, I live in Los Angeles County, uh, going to this agency that helps people prepare the paperwork on their own. They have volunteer attorneys, and they help you fill out the petition to the court um, to become someone's conservator. And uh, I got the paperwork, sat with someone, filled out most of it. And they told me the next step was to take a, a form that I needed to have signed by a doctor that treats my son, that, that in the doctor's opinion, you know, there was reason uh, to conserve him um, that he, you know, didn't have capacity for medical decisions and so forth. I got that filled out. And then I really started having second thoughts and I felt really conflicted. And um, I completely understand why, you know, in some cases it's a very clear cut decision, but for me and for my son in particular, I just I just felt a little uneasy about it. And I decided to kind of put it on pause 
and, and it's still on pause today. I didn't expect it would be such a long pause, but you know, life has a way of throwing a lot of things your way. And after that happened and before we completed it, um, my mother became very ill and passed away. My father became very ill and passed away. And then we're at the pandemic. And so we're still kind of on a pause. And I don't even know if at this point I could go back and, and process that paperwork because it's been a couple of years now. But, um, but in the meantime, I've decided to look into these alternatives. Mm -hmm. So um, for you know, managing finances and banking and things like that, um, one alternative is a durable power of attorney. And um, for the medical side, medical consent and treatment, there's also the power of attorney or an advanced healthcare directive. Right. So those are two things that I really need to, to get on with and finish because so far the informal way of just working closely and collaboratively with his doctors um, is working. It's working okay. Um, and my son is a member of a large medical group, Kaiser, mm -hmm. and they have their own internal forms for that. So you can have a patient designate someone else to be able to get all their records and so on. So we've done that. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the more formal legal things, um, I, I really need to, I really need to follow up on that. But informally, as far as finances and banking, you know, he has a bank account, he has a debit card. Uh, I know his pin and his, I get his, um, I get his bank statement sent to my address, uh, my email address. <clears throat> but I learned a hard lesson probably about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. Um, I wasn't paying attention to his bank statements. And I didn't know that he had been um, playing, well, I knew he was playing some games on his phone, like Angry Birds and some other things. I didn't know that he was buying those power packs or whatever <laughs> you wanna call them to give him extra points or extra turns until uh, I got an, a letter, physical letter from the bank. He got one, but which I opened that said he was overdrawn $200. Oh, and no. I thought, no, how could that be? And I went back and looked and in a very short period of time, he had spent $800 Ooh, on wow. those games. Very short period of time. It really adds up. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about, I did call. Mm -hmm the bank and they waived some of it. They didn't waive all of it. They had a limit. And so he was out um, probably about $400 and I was out $200 because he was overdrawn and I had to make up the difference. And that was really kind of a, a natural consequence. Yep. I guess. <laughs> yep. So we had a talk and, you know, I had told him before, don't use those things, but then I wasn't paying attention and he did use them. So that's one of those natural consequences. And I told him, okay, you know, we put a block on those power packs on his phone, on his iTunes account. And um, he wasn't able to buy something or do something that he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of where, where that ended. How is his reaction to that? I mean, I know with my son, I've had similar situations um, and it has become <laughs> a challenge. Like, yes, I got it off, but then he knew it existed. So it became a whole, you know, behavior thing where we had to talk through it and like, because, you know, they had access to it. And then now we're like, sorry, you can't do that. This is why, but, you know, did he was he mad or was he, he wasn't was he upset with himself he, or yeah he he was he was upset I mean I I had to explain that it was real money mm -hmm. it's hard yeah. you know it's a hard yeah. concept I think to to grasp like this is real money this isn't just you pressing a button on your mm -hmm. phone and these you know points appear on mm -hmm. your screen this is real money and he felt bad about that he had had a, a previous experience um, when he was in high school that um, I think demonstrated, you know, that he, he finally got like the real tangible nature of money. And that was um, apparently a, another student at, you know, lunchtime or break time was asking if he had any money and he would open his wallet and he would give him a dollar. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but this was happening regularly. Wow. And, I hear this story a lot. Mm -hmm. And then um, we happened to go to the bank. It was close to holiday time. And he withdrew $40 because we were going to go shopping after school. He was going to buy something as a gift. So when this kid asked, do you have any money? And he opened his opened his wallet and showed him the kid took the $40 oh. and um, this was not one of his classmates. Mm -hmm. It was another student at school. And, um, but that was enough money that made him go tell a teacher. Mm -hmm. So he told a teacher and I was actually impressed with the way they handled it. They, um, he didn't know the student's name, but he knew which classroom he was in that he came out of. And he, so they, they showed him a list on the screen, computer screen, of all the students that were in that class, registered in that class at that time. And he picked out the student and they took him to the principal's office and he admitted taking the money and he gave the money back. He was a football player. Interesting. And wow. he was um, kicked off the team for the rest of the year. Wow. Wow. Good. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Good yeah. for him. You know, but that brought it to our attention, you know, and we said, look, Matt, when someone says, do you have any money? Just say no, <laughs> or say it's none of your business or it's private. Don't, don't pull out your wallet and show them. Well, I think too, our kids are so literal sometimes with yeah. certain subjects that, you know, it's, that's just a natural response. My kid would probably do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's one of those, you know, consequences that really um, helped illustrate what the, what his response should be. So now if you ask him, do you have any money? Hopefully, Michelle, you, you should ask him that and see if he says, uh, <laughs> it's none of your business. <laughs> I was going to say, he's told me it's none of your business to other things. So he's learned a little bit about what, you know, what he's supposed to share, what he's not. Oh, I think that came up with the voting, right? Who did you oh, vote right. for? That's none of your business. But he, <laughs> to me, he says it really funny. 
Well, got a lot of attitude, that boy. (laughs) (laughs) What you're doing, I'm stealing this phrase from Jill Escher from the National Council on Severe Autism. She presented this idea at a workshop and I've stolen it completely and um, using it so much because I loved it. And it was called supported decision-making. Right. He's talking about it in the concept of to conserve or not conserve. And that she was saying that while lots of families do conserve, there is this whole supportive decision-making model where if you have that kind of relationship with your child and have gotten them out there in the community, just like you and Michelle described, you already are in a situation where you're both able to communicate together. And I know that's what we do with my stepdaughter. We decided And now we all know a court decides if someone can be conserved or not, but by the time you go through all the paperwork they make you do, the response effort, (laughs) it is likely that by the time, and Jen went through this, you get to the end, it is usually for the kids that have not, don't have capacity to make some of those decisions. Um, But Jen made sure that Dylan can still vote, even though she has conservatorship over him because that was something that she wanted to honor that he wanted to have. So That's um, good. Yeah. yeah, I love, I love how you've thought about this and you may change your mind down the road. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and uh, that's the other thing. A lot of people um, believe or have been told at some point, you have to get this um, conservatorship in place um, when your child turns 18. And that is not true. You know, conservatorship can happen at any time. Um, think about someone who is, you know, a, a senior right. citizen with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease or something like that. Or or poor Britney Spears, right? You exactly. Know, Free Britney. That's how most people know about <laughs> conservatorship in the general public now is through Britney Spears. And that brings up the issue of well, what if someone is conserved? Can it be undone? Right. And I actually had a a conversation um, with someone I know from the community who has a son about the same age as mine. And she did have him conserved when he was 18. And uh, now she wants to undo it. And and, uh, part of it is because he's matured a lot. He He was very impulsive when he was younger. And she, you know, just felt like it was something that was necessary at that time. And now she does not think it's necessary, especially with this supported decision-making framework. And she's very involved in um, the um, self-determination movement here in California. So I thought, I was thinking about it. I thought, well, can you undo it? And so I looked it up and you can, you know, go back to court and file a petition to remove a conservator, substitute a different conservator, or just terminate the conservatorship altogether. But it is another legal process. And they say the judge, um, you know, if you're you're saying it's no longer necessary, then you'll have to show some kind of evidence Mm -hmm. that it's no longer necessary. So I thought, well, what kind of evidence could that be you know, if it was someone who had a medical condition and they no longer have the medical condition, I guess that would be fairly easy to, to demonstrate. But, um, you know, if, if it's, for example, a, a person with, with autism and they've, um, 
you know, maybe they've had some instruction in how to manage their own banking and how to, you know, uh, talk with their doctor. And, you know, you would just want to um, document what, what they know how to do now that they didn't know how to do then. That's a really great point. You know, my stepdaughter's 30. She's very different than she was at 18. And she right. is, she, you know, the AB insurance companies will make you think that, you know, once you turn 18, kids don't, um, the kids stop learning and growing and improving and the ABA services should be cut off. Um, but right. that's not true. My stepdaughter is incredibly more mature now and skilled at 30 than she was at 18 and can make decisions now that she couldn't have made it at 18. And we were on the fence back and forth trying to, you know, decide what to do. And right now we feel really glad that we did not do that. We have, um, for instance, she has social security benefits mm -hmm. and um, we have had to teach Melanie to tell, because she doesn't understand a lot of those types of finances. She, we've taught her to say, I'd like to have my father's help. I'm staying on the line, but I'm going to merge him in. And so she merges them in the call. Um, as a way to sort of cope and make those decisions together. So, yeah, you know, I really love that you brought that up. Way to go for her. I still do that. And I'm 40 and a typically developing person. I talk <laughs> right. to my dad all the time about those decisions. So well, I, that's, that's the, the interesting thing about the supported decision-making model is, you know, it starts off by saying, Hey, we all need help making big decisions, you know? If I get sued by someone, I, I don't decide to just do it on my own. I'm going to talk to a lawyer, right? Or if, right. if I have something, some serious medical thing, I'm going to look for expert assistance from people I know and people who've gone through it before. And, you know, we all use that in our everyday decision making. Yeah. And Michelle, as a BCBA, this makes me since I've started doing this podcast, it makes me think about as BCBAs, we provide parent training and education to our parents. And it's often comprised of, you know, making sure parents understand what is reinforcement, what is a function of behavior, what is antecedent strategies. And now it's like blowing my mind. And I'm thinking, no, we need to be teaching parents how to make work with their child to problem solve and make decisions. And so I'll be tapping you, Michelle, on this because my, my mind is like going down this place of how do we demonstrate, how do we measure that in a goal in, you know, in a treatment plan and help work with parents around that. And so, Victoria, I'll have to tap back into you on that, too, because it is what we should be doing is supporting families to work with their children to make supported decisions. Well, and I think one way we can do that as professionals is model that, you know, we, we model that in our treatment. We don't just, um, you know, go in and say, this is going to be your goal. We talk to clients of all ages and we involve them in the treatment planning. And, and then we're modeling that for parents. We're modeling that approach for parents. And then we, you know, just like we target any other skill for a parent, we, we help them, you know, learn how to do it too right? It's a great skill yeah. for a, a BST a, where we do behavioral skills training. Yeah. And we kind of teach and then we model and we let the parent do it. And then we give feedback until we get that mastery. I mean, that'd be a great thing for, for parents um, to do with their kids because 
parents are the lifelong teachers, right? Yeah. Super great point. I think too, um, at least if my other son is extremely um, involved, um, they're only 23 months apart and he's the younger one. Um, But, you know, we were always very fortunate that um, like the people that we worked with had my other son kind of involved, you know, and the sidelines, but including making decisions. Um, and I think, you know, that could be important too, um, you know, just for involvement for their sibling, um, because at some point he, you know, we talk about when you're saying changing things, you know, um, at the time he was younger, so it wasn't even an option for him to be a co-conservator. But at some point, you know, when I get, when I get up there, you know, <laughs> I probably will add him. But he's got as far as like he was the one that suggested at some point, obviously I went down to like, you know, either live independently or live with me as long as possible. But my my son, um, Ethan, was like, oh, we should go look at just group homes for later. But he was like the one that was like when we went and checked them out, like asking all these questions that I wasn't even thinking about. And so, um, again, I just think, you know, having the most important people in your child's life involved. And honestly, Dylan, even though he is pretty impacted, um, he's also very smart and, and can do a lot of, you know, really great things, some naughty things too. But, um, you know, I have always, I'm a lot like you where I've always had him out and about in the community. We kind of joke, he's like the mayor of our town. Like, <laughs> Everybody knows him. People talk to him. I don't even know who they are. So I I can connect in that way because I think that's really cool. Um, I've definitely never been one to hide out and it sounds like you haven't either. Like you got to get them out there. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's wrap this up with, if it's okay, Michelle, if you'd share your teaching um, Victoria's son's swearing story. (laughs) Well, Matthew is just an awesome kid. And, um, he, we were, I think we were at the pool one day or hanging out or something. And he said, he said something and he used a swear word inappropriately. I don't know. Can I use them? Yeah. Yeah. He said said something was dipshit. And I had to tell him, no, 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 that's not it. Something is bullshit. A person is a dipshit. And we went through lots of, um, um, you know, versions of that. And, and he just cracked up and thought that was just the funniest thing, but then, you know, really realized like the importance of swearing and, and where it's appropriate and where it's not. And so it's very appropriate with me via text. He can swear all he wants and I will swear back. And he, um, you know, now that we don't live close by Vicki and her husband will often say like, we know you're texting with Matt because he's laughing like this certain, you know, and, and that's why I do it. Right. Because he's so darn cute when he's cracking up laughing and, um, and everybody's gotten into it. Like my son has gotten into doing it. And we had a, a kind of going away party when I moved and it was outdoors. Don't worry. Um, and everybody was getting into the swearing thing and, and her older son was doing it too. And, 
it wasn't the same because Matt just gets this big, huge smile and this dimple that comes out when he does it. And it is just the cutest thing ever. Now he's got swearing totally down. He can use all the words <laughs> appropriately in very many contexts and he does it very well. <laughs> You'll have to teach a class on that for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an important adult skill. Yeah. Yeah. You know when people are, are swearing and yeah. when it's okay to join in and when it's not. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for joining us, Victoria. It was so nice to have you on Michelle. Now we're going to do a swearing podcast. So <laughs> we'll hear more of you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.